16. Hey, let me encourage you. Get your hands on some good Christian music. We're created to be musical creatures. Some of you here can't carry a tune in a bucket. You say, I used to carry a tune in a bucket, but my bucket's got holes in it. And all the tune dripped out the bottom. That's okay. Uh, get some good Christian music, and even if you're tone deaf, sing along in your car when no one's around, and, and put the windows up, amen? Um, but uh, get some good Christian music. We sell it in our bookstore. Uh, on my way to church tonight, I, I turned the music up as loud as I could stand it, and I just sang along. And uh, I uh, got to church tonight, and my heart was just tender and, and ready. And then um, uh, I spent a little bit of time praying and asking God uh, for his blessing and power on the services this evening. And uh, God wants us to sing. We're commanded over and over again in Scripture to sing. And so um, get, get your hands on some good Christian music and sing. While I'm on that, have you noticed when you fall in love with Christian music, how terrible the world's music sounds? Have you noticed that? I'll be in the store and some teeny bop, pop song will come over the speakers and I'm like, they call this music? This is terrible. Even if I was into worldly music, I, I don't know how I could be because just the quality of it is so terrible. But uh, get your hands on some good music and listen to it. All right, let's stand together. Revelation 22, verse 16 through verse 21. And let's read here. It says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every one that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the whole city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We'll finish up tonight our lesson in Revelation. He's coming back. He's coming back. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we study this book. The truth is, Lord, all of our eschatology or end times understandings will be straightened out when we get to heaven. Uh, probably, Lord, something that I think or believe or way I see things is needs to be tweaked and isn't quite perfect. And so, Lord, help us not to get caught up on arguing details. Help us not to have a contentious spirit, uh, either me standing here or those in the pew, uh, Lord, over details. But, Lord, help us to be um, focused on the spiritual truth that you're coming back. And there's a work for the church to do. There's a walk for the church to have. May we be busy about those two things while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well... Let's uh, let's jump in and uh, and, and review uh, where we are uh, to this point. Just really quick on the introduction, um, I, 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 I feel like I need to say this to those that weren't here two weeks ago when I covered this. You can't study the Book of Revelation without having a good understanding of Old Testament prophets 
and Jesus' teaching and Paul's writings. You can't do it. You've got to study those passages in great depth. You've got to study the book of Daniel as it relates to Revelation and in time prophecy. You've got to study Isaiah as it relates to the millennial kingdom. You have to study the minor prophets as that refers to the millennial kingdom and other areas, even the first coming of Christ uh, in those types of things. Uh, Jesus had a lot to say in Matthew 24, 25 and then Mark 13 about what would happen in the end times. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the judgment of the church age saints. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians talks about the rapture of the church. 2 Thessalonians talks about the events of the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to go back too much. In fact, I'm not planning on going back into any of these tonight. But I want you to understand that I have studied all of these passages in great depth in preparation to give you what I'm giving you tonight. I'll also say that I did a lengthy series, short by a lot of people's standards, but lengthy compared to tonight's study. I did a lengthy studies on Revelation where we went uh, chapter by chapter through it. We sell that in our bookstore. So if your appetite is wet tonight or you say, I just don't agree with you, and you come see me, I'm going to say, go buy the series and listen to it. And then if you want to sit down and argue or discuss, I don't argue, if you want to sit down and discuss, we can do that at that point. If you were here for that series, then uh, we'll uh, we'll sit and discuss. Amen. But um, we're not going to go back into those passages, but please understand that I have studied those. Okay, number one, uh, let's review here. Number one, we looked at the purpose of the book. So many people get hung up on uh, the exciting uh, future events that are going to unfold and, and they want to know, uh, uh, what the, what the toenail on the beast in, in Daniel means. And they get hung up studying that for years. They want to know who the Antichrist is. Is it, is he going to come out of Europe? You know, every president we have, somebody thinks that that's the Antichrist. I remember when Bill Clinton was the Antichrist. And then I remember when the first George Bush was the Antichrist. And then, uh, or rather, uh, first George Bush, then Bill Clinton. Then, then George W., right? And I said, George W., he doesn't even know how to speak. He can't be the Antichrist. Okay? And then uh, Barack Obama. Man, that was popular in Baptist circles. Barack Obama is the Antichrist. And I said, oh, knock it off. And now there is a sect of people that think Donald Trump is the Antichrist. And if you read and study how polished the Antichrist is, Donald Trump can't be the Antichrist. He, there's no polish on that guy whatsoever. So, uh, But there are people out there that say that nonetheless. And uh, there are all kinds of opinions about who he is and speculation and, and all that. And, and look, i got to say that it might be fun to sit around and talk about that. We'll talk about the two witnesses tonight that will stand in Jerusalem and preach against the Antichrist. And there's a lot of discussion of, well, who are the two witnesses? Is it Moses and Elijah? Is it Elijah and Enoch? Is it, is it, uh, I've heard people speculate that it's, uh, John the Revelator was one of the two. And, and look, I gotta tell you, I don't know. God didn't want us to know or he would have told us. Okay? But it's fun to sit around and talk about those things. But that's not what the book of Revelation is about. Alright? The book of Revelation, the purpose of the book is threefold. It's to educate us about upcoming events. It's to exhort us to do the purpose that we were left here with. And it's to encourage us when we are having it rough. I think of the church in 
Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, and then again in 2 Thessalonians. Paul took chapter 3 and 4 of uh, 1 Thessalonians and the latter half of 2 Thessalonians to tell them, yes, the persecuted brethren are being killed and you are burying those that are being killed for their faith. And you are discouraged and you want to close the doors to your church and go home and forget that church ever existed. But what is he saying here? He's saying you can't quit. There's going to come a day where Jesus is going to come back in the clouds and the trumpet's going to sound and those that are dead in Christ are going to rise first and then those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. So don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Do you ever you ever get to a place at work where it's like I'm the only one that ever stands up for anything that's right? And, and I gotta put up with this sewage of sin that just gets dumped on me day after day after day. Or maybe it's your neighbors, or maybe you go to a family reunion, it's the drinking and the smoking and the womanizing or the, uh, whatever the male version of womanizing would be. And, and you sit back and you go, look, I'm trying to live a pure godly life and, and, and I'm being made fun of for that. If you turn on the TV, which is not always a good idea, but you turn on the TV and you watch any of these series of shows that come on, so I'm told, because Angela can tell you I don't watch that type of stuff, but so I'm told, Christians are just mocked and made fun of. Did you notice that with those that were hurt in Sri Lanka and killed, that our, our politicians don't even know how to say Christians? They call them Easter worshipers. Are we worshiping Easter? I don't think we worship Easter, do we? We worship Jesus. They are avoiding the word Christian because it doesn't fit the narrative that the Christians are the bad people. Folks, to be a Christian in 2019 is not popular. And, and, and there comes a point in time where uh, you get up and you go to church and you feel like, is this even making a difference? And the purpose of the book was to say, hey, let me educate you on the things that are going to happen. Yes, I'm going to be vague in some areas, but you can put it together with Daniel and these things can excite you. Uh, let me exhort you that you don't follow after Balaam. Uh, it's funny in these seven churches, how many of them get hammered for following the doctrine of Balaam. It's, it's interesting if you study Paul's writings, how many times Paul hammers churches for sins of sexuality within the church. And you know what? That's a problem in the church today. But that dates all the way back to Paul's day where this is a struggle. And then he takes time with the church of Ephesus to say, Hey, you're doing all the right things, but you stop loving the Savior. Then he looks at the church of Laodicea and he says, Yeah, you guys, you're doing the work, but you're doing it with a lukewarm heart. Your heart's just cold. The harsh is cold. Christian, when was the last time a tear ran down your cheek? Because you felt a strong love toward your Savior. You say, well, I'm a tough guy. I don't cry. Real men cry about some things. They do. Real men at least get misty-eyed and think about what Jesus did for them on the cross. Real men know what it's like to weep over the needs of others. Do I need to remind you the shortest verse in the Bible? You more manly than Jesus? If you don't ever shed a tear over a soul, shed a tear over your own salvation, if you don't ever shed a tear over your sin, 
then my friend, you have, I'm just going to tell you straight, you have a lukewarm heart. And God, God views you as abominable. Abominable. He wants to spew you out of His mouth. I don't want to have a church full of Laodicean Christians. I don't want to be a Laodicean Christian myself. And so while we're fascinated with what's going to happen, let's not forget what the purpose of the book is. Jesus said, I come quickly and I bring my rewards with me. He's going to step in the cloud and the trumpet's going to blow and that could happen at any moment. So that's number one, the purpose of the book. Let's jump into number two and let's look at the program of the book. The program of the book. We uh, began this two weeks ago, so let's jump in here. Letter A, notice first, the snatching away of the saints. Now, I am a firm believer that the book of Revelation is written in chronological order. I talked about going to a piano recital uh, or maybe a wedding and you're given a a bulletin or a program, and it has in there the order of events, right? And if you're sitting through a long recital of beginner piano students, you really intently watch that so you know when it's going to be over, right? How many have been to one and you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, my goodness. And how many how many missed notes am I going to have to listen to? And uh, you, you kind of watch that all the way down. And the book of Revelation is laid out the same way. It's laid out with what's going to happen in what particular order. There are those that don't believe the book of Revelation is written in chronological order. They think it's more of a topical type thing and that it's just a smorgasbord of what will happen in the end. Uh, I don't hold that view. I really do believe that God put it in a particular order. And you say, well, pastor, uh, why do Baptist Church's doctrinal statement, your personal doctrinal statement, believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Let me just explain what that means. There is a seven-year window of time called the tribulation where God is going to pour His wrath down on this earth, hot and heavy. All right. I believe that the rapture of the church happens prior to that. Part of the reason why I believe that, going back into Daniel, Daniel prophesied a 70-week, the word week means a period of seven, 70 week or 490 years. Each week represents seven years, so 490 years. And the first 69 uh, sets of seven years were a countdown from the time the Israelites were released out of their captivity to go back in Jerusalem. That, 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 that event marked the countdown to the year that Christ would be crucified. And guess what? 69 times 7 years later, to the year Jesus was nailed to the cross. The 70th week is going to happen during the tribulation. So you have 69 weeks, and then you have one set of 7, or one week, over here, in between the conclusion of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week, you have the church era. That's where we live now. We live in the church era. The church era began with a with the resur- death and resurrection of Christ. It will end right before the tribulation begins. And so, Revelation 4 describes that event, the catching away of the church. You can compare that to 1 Thessalonians and see that it is talking about the same event. Uh, what happens after the, the, the rapture of the church? We're going to be out of here. Anybody ever stop thinking how much chaos is going to be here that day? 
You have because you watched Left Behind. If you hadn't watched Left Behind, you probably wouldn't have even thought about it. But no, um, uh, it's going to be mad chaos that day. Airplanes crashing out of the skies, cars running off roads, church buildings, uh, if it happens on a Sunday, uh, church buildings filled with people's clothes, personal belongings, and, and cars will be left in the parking lot. I've seen bumper stickers that people put on the back of their car that says, in case of rapture, this car will be vacated. In case of rapture, you can have this car, right? Uh, in case of rapture, we'll let Brother Russo have my car. So uh, he, he, can, he can pastor the church, too. No, I'm just teasing you. Picking on you there, Brother Dave. Um, yeah, no, uh, but uh, that, that's going to happen. It's going to be a wild day. So the snatching away of the saints. Uh, notice letter B, the sequence of the tribulation. The sequence of the tribulation. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to fill out the back of your uh, prayer bulletin there. And then that sheet of paper we'll go through and we'll look at it uh, on a timeline. The sequence of the tribulation. Chapters 6 through 9. Chapters 6 through 9 of Revelation describe the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Chapters 6 through 9 describe the first three and a half years of the tribulation. We're going to dissect this a few different ways, okay? Chapters 10 through 14 lay out the events that will take place in the middle of the tribulation, the midpoint events. So you have the first half of the tribulation. You have the second half of the tribulation. Uh, The last uh, three and a half years are described from chapter 15 to chapter 19. Chapter 15 to chapter 19 describes the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The very, very midpoint of the tribulation is something that Daniel and Jesus described as the abomination of desolation. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes, but that will be right at the midpoint of the tribulation. Those events leading up to it and shortly thereafter uh, take place from chapter 10 to 14. So you've got letter A, the snatching away of the saints. Letter B, the sequence of the tribulation. Notice letter C, the severity of the tribulation. The severity of the tribulation. Um, uh, let's, let's turn over to chapter 6 here. And let's look at, um, let's just look at some verses here, okay? Chapter 6, notice uh, the seven seal judgments. The seven seal judgments. Now, what does that mean, seal? Is that like the animal that, that comes out of the sea and that you go watch at, at SeaWorld or, or the Mystic Aquarium? That's not what this is talking about. All right? For those, and by the way, I didn't know this until I was an adult and I grew up in church. So I was probably daydreaming when this was explained before. And so for all those that were like me and daydreamed up to this point in church and you've missed what a seal is, all right, I, this is your chance to, to catch up with the rest of us, okay? Um, a seal. So the, uh, there, there is a title deed to the earth in heaven. A title deed to the earth in heaven. And it is, the way they would write books is that when they finished a section on a scroll, they would take hot wax uh, and they would put that down and they'd roll it over and that would dry and create a seal on that scroll. So this title deed to heaven was written out by God and it's rolled up and has seven wax seals. The seventh one seals it closed. Okay, So that's hot uh, candle wax that, that dries and holds that parchment together. And uh, you have this title deed to heaven and this 
set of events takes place where uh, uh, they're asking who is worthy to open open this this title deed. And John is there, right? This is supposedly taking place after the rapture, or has taken place after the rapture. And they look around at all of the church saints, and none of them are worthy. Then they look around at all the angels, and none of them are worthy. And John begins to weep, because no one is worthy to open open this, this title. And then, an angel says, don't weep, John. Don't weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy to open it. Well, who's the Lion of the tribe of Judah? That's Jesus. And so, John looks up through misty eyes, teary eyes, and does he see a lion? No, he sees a lamb as though it's been slain before the foundation of the earth. And Jesus comes down as a lamb, and he takes the title deed, and he breaks open the first seal. And as he breaks open the first seal... All hell breaks loose on earth. The breaking of that seal is where the tribulation, that 70th week of Daniel, begins. It's where uh, all of it happens. Now, the first three and a half years are not all bad. In fact, there's a lot of good that happens as far as financial gain on the earth. While there is some judgments that are, there are some judgments that are poured out, uh, it, the, the, really the dark part of it takes place in the second half. Look at chapter 6 with me. And let's look at um, uh, the opening of the first seal. Look at verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. This is describing the Antichrist. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to be conquered. Look at verse 3. We see the second seal. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went one, uh, one another, or out another rather, horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, uh, and that, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. You can read on down chapter 6, and it describes these seven seal judgments, and as Jesus is opening up the title deed, wax seal by wax seal, more and more events take place. Well, what happens when he gets to the end of the seventh seal? Well, the opening of the seventh seal begins another set of judgments on earth. The opening of the seventh seal opens up the seven trumpet judgments. Seven trumpet judgments. Now, uh, angels, seven angels are given a trumpet, and as each of them blows the trumpet, another set of judgments takes place on the earth that are quite severe. Again, because this is more of a synopsis of the book and not a detailed uh, look of the book, I'm not going to give. A, I'm not going to uh, dive deep into this. But chapters eight and nine describe the seven uh, trumpet judgments, and I'll tell you this: they're very similar to the plagues that were poured out on Egypt. Uh, in Exodus. Uh, so, if you want to, you can read through those, chapter 8 and 9, and you can see the similarities with the Exodus judgments, uh, rather the Exodus plagues, but these are even more severe. At the opening of the, or blowing rather, of the seventh trumpet, uh, the Bible says that another set of judgments begins on the earth, the most severe. Uh, some Bibles would call them the seven bowl judgments. The King James Bible calls it seven vile 
judgments. But that word vile is an old English word meaning bowl. So the seven vile judgments, and those can be found in chapter number 16. Letter D, notice, letter D, notice the supremacy of Christ's reign. Turn with me to chapter number 20 and verse number 4. So, um, I'm going to get through the, uh, the, the outline here. And then when we get to the timeline, I'll start filling in with some more details. At the very end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to come back for his second coming. And the end game here is that Jesus is going to sit on his throne and he's going to reign here on this earth from where Jerusalem is today. And there's going to be a, uh, a, a theocratic government. Jesus is going to call the shots. He's going to be the legislative, executive, and judicial branch, all wrapped up in one. And the church age saints, we are going to get to help him rule the world. So the better job you do as a Christian, uh, the more likely it is you'll be uh, elevated to a higher position in God's kingdom to serve. My goal is to not be dog catcher. I don't want to be assigned to be dog catcher, okay? I want God to give me a a title a little more lofty than that. So do a good job or you might get stuck with being dog catcher, all right? Uh, But the supremacy of Christ's reign, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set that up. Look at chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus and for the word of God and which, uh, which was, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither uh, had received his mark upon their foreheads or in, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a big battle. We'll talk about that more and more in a minute. And he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now, during that thousand year reign, you can read about this in Isaiah. Let's see here. If you're really interested in reading up on this, that would be Isaiah chapter 11, 21, and 24. Isaiah 11, 21, and 24 offer more insight on the millennial reign of Christ. But during that time, this world's going to look very different. God's going to lift the sin curse off of the earth. What do I mean by that? People who are born during that time will still have a sin nature. Us that have been raptured, we won't. But other folks, there will still be procreation uh, going on here on the earth uh, after uh, uh, or during the millennial reign. And children who are born will still have a sin nature. But the earth itself will have the sin curse lifted. You remember back in the Garden of Eden how the Bible describes it was? Uh, how that all the animals are herbivores and they all got along. And then after the sin curse, that changed. Well, scorpions, children will play with scorpions and snakes and ditches and won't get hurt. Lion and Lions and lambs will lay down and take a nap together. You'll have a seven-year-old child with a, with a, uh, a dog collar or a, a lion collar leading him through the street with no fear of getting eaten. That's going to be incredible. They're going to take uh, bombs and they're going to beat them into plowshares. I imagine that you'll have some little boy digging through a history book, you know, 600 years into the millennial, going to his mom and saying, what is an atomic warhead? And the mom's saying, I don't know, go ask your dad. And then the dad's saying, I have no idea. Because there won't be any need for that. There won't be any wars because God is going to squash out problems right at the get-go. When they're fought in heads, he'll squash it out. 
So that will be the supremacy of Christ's reign. That will go on for a thousand years. How will that end? Well, during the time that the millennial uh, reign is happening, God is going to have Satan locked away in a prison, a, a hellish prison. And at the end of the thousand years, he's going to l- let Satan go. Satan's going to come back to earth, and all of those folks who are secretly rebelling their heart against God, Satan is going to gather them together and form them into an army and lead them to Jerusalem to have a big war against God. And right before they get to Jerusalem, God's going to drop a fire out of heaven and consume the entire army at one time. And then he's going to take up Satan and he's going to cast him into hell forever. The bottomless pit forever. And so that will mark the end of the millennial reign. And then, then at that point, God is going to uh, uh, judge, so letter E, the suffering of the unbelievers, the suffering of the unbelievers. God is going to judge all of those who rejected the Messiah of the Old Testament and the Christ of the New Testament. He's going to judge them at something called the great white throne judgment. Look at chapter 20, verse number 11. So this takes place after the seven-year tribulation, after the thousand-year millennial reign. Right at the conclusion of that, there's going to be a judgment. Now, let me before we read this, let me just say, all of those folks who have already rejected God and died and have gone to hell, they're going to be snatched out of hell for a brief moment and brought before Jesus at the great white throne judgment to appear before him to get their final say in court before God and then to bow their knee before God where they'll go right back to their suffering for having rejected God. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from uh, whose face uh, the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to... To their works. Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. For those that say, I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. If that's really how you want to try to get into heaven, God's going to judge you by your works one day. And it ain't going to be pretty. Look at the next verse. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. How do you get into heaven? You've got to have that name, your name in the book of life. You say, well, how do I get my name in the book of life? Well, it's not going to be by your works, because that book of works is going to get you in hell. Getting your name in the book of life is simple. You've got to call on the name of Jesus to save you. That's how. I have often wondered if we're going to be there to watch this happen as spectators. A big part of me really hopes we're not. But I fear that we will be. Christian, have you witnessed to your neighbor? I've got neighbors I haven't witnessed to yet. just going to tell you. My neighbors aren't the most friendly folks. I have a hard time even catching them home. But I still have an obligation to tell them about Jesus. How about your co-workers? 
How about your family? One day they're going to stand in front of God and give an account. Are they going to turn as they're being drug away to hell and look up at you? And with one look say to you, why didn't you tell me? You went to a gospel preaching church every week of your life and you didn't tell me? They're going to be taken, thrown into hell where they'll burn forever. We have an obligation not to use such a zealous spirit that pushes folks further into hell, but rather a compassionate heart that leads them away from the flames. The suffering of the unbeliever. Letter F, notice the splendor of the saints. The splendor of the saints. I'm not going to go into it tonight, but chapter 21 and chapter 22 talks about how that this heaven and earth will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth that are created and we will live on that new heaven and new earth forever. It's going to be awesome. I wish I had time to go into it tonight. I don't. Let's. Uh, uh, you have the handout there, the full piece of paper handout. Let's fill in the blanks there and um, uh, let's, uh, let's look at this on a timeline. Now, if you notice... To the left of the uh, the the, air, the um, to the left of the arrow, you have the church age. That's where we currently live, and we will be there until the rapture takes place, where God takes His church out. Okay, um, at, so the church age will come to an end, and you can note their rapture. Rapture. Okay, church age. Our church saints are judged in heaven. When will we be judged in heaven? I believe the Bible teaches. That we will be judged in heaven, we'll have our judgment in heaven at, uh, during that first three and a half years of the tribulation. Why did Jesus say, I bring my rewards with me? As he's coming to reward us. And one by one we'll stand before God, and Satan will be there, by the way. At the beginning of the tribulation, Satan will be there to accuse the brethren. And Jesus will be our lawyer to defend us for having been saved. Okay, let's move through this quickly. Uh, the first seal opened. Uh, uh, throw that next slide up there so I make sure I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't remember. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll go on to the end here. Okay, so uh, a second coming of Christ, the battle of Armageddon. Uh, I'm going to move over here so Jason can see the screen. Millennial uh, reign begins. So that's how it ends. Okay, You've got the second coming of Christ. That ends the, seven, the 70th week or the seven-year tribulation. And uh, when Christ comes back, he's going to come back on a white horse. He's going to come back looking awesome. He's going to come, we're going to be following him on horses and he's going to open his mouth in the valley of Megiddo. And there's going to be a great war between him and all of the, the, the armies of the world. He'll open his mouth and he'll destroy, uh, he'll destroy uh, the nations uh, uh, that are there to fight against him all at once. The blood is going to run up to the horse's bridle. It's going to be an incredible sight. If you have a weak stomach for blood, you better hope God takes that away when he raptures you. Amen? Uh, millennial reign begins. Okay, so at the middle there is the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, begins global dominion. Now, um, at the beginning of the tribulation, i got to really move because we've got like three minutes left here. At the beginning of the tribulation, you have, uh, you have the false prophet, you have the Antichrist, and you have, uh, uh, let's see, the false prophet, the Antichrist, who's the third one in the, in the false training? The beast. The false prophet, the Antichrist, is the beast. Okay, and I think Satan. 
Satan's the father, right, Satan. So you have these three. And so, um, uh, uh, Satan is going, or rather the, the Antichrist or the beast is gonna use, he's gonna use the false prophet to gather together the religions of the world and turn them into a one world religion. You all have seen these bumper stickers that say coexist. That is a push toward a one world religion. That must happen before uh, uh, for the tribulation to take place. Now, I am not a coexist guy, alright? I stand firm where the Bible stands. That's, that's where it begins and ends, and that doesn't line up with any other religions of the world. How many of you notice that the Pope is not acting very Catholic lately? Anybody notice that? You know why? Because that has to happen for prophecy to come into place. There are talks about the Protestant group melding with the Catholics again, becoming one. I believe, this is my opinion, I believe the Catholics and the Muslims will come together. If you look at the eschatology or end-time events of um, the Islam world, they line up perfect with Revelation end-time events. And I believe the fifth imam will be the Antichrist. I believe, my opinion, is that the Antichrist will come from the Muslim faith. All that will meld uh, together. And so religion will be used to a point. There will be a treaty signed with Israel that will kick off the tribulation. And that treaty will be to have their temple rebuilt. Once that temple is rebuilt and all of those things are in place, at the three and a half year mark, uh, uh, the Antichrist is going to walk in. He's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to declare himself to be God. The Jews will then realize this guy's not really our friend, and they're going to they're going to desolate because of the abomination that takes place, and they will flee. Satan will finish persecuting the saints in heaven. He will come down and he will open up war on the Jews. The Jews will retreat to a place where God will use the elements, nature's elements, to help defend them and protect them although they will still be persecuted and killed on some level. level. So, uh, there you see that you have uh, the first seal uh, down to the seventh seal. The opening of the first seal is the signing of the treaty between Antichrist and Israel. The first seal is the opening... Uh, when the first seal is opened... That is the signing of the treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. That's also the beginning of the 70th week. Listen, I know I'm making your head spin here if if you've not seen this material before. Okay, the next set of judgments, so that next slide up there for me, are the trumpet judgments. Um, That dash, if you have a a map there, that dash uh, right before the seventh trumpet judgment, that is where the two witnesses are killed and resurrect. The two witnesses are killed and resurrect. So there are going to be two preachers that just appear in Jerusalem. And they're going to stand up in Jerusalem, in a prominent place, and they're going to preach against the Antichrist for the first three and a half years or so of the tribulation. And um, um, people are going to come and try and hurt them. And the Bible says they're going to open their mouth and fire is going to fly out of their mouth and consume those that try to hurt them. They're going to be untouchable. And they're going to preach like Old Testament prophets. It ain't going to be a persuasive message. It's going to be a message of perdition. And the Antichrist is going to get fed up with it. And after three and a half years of being preached at, right before he walks in the temple to desecrate the temple, he's going to walk up and he's going to murder these two men in cold blood and leave their bodies laying in the street. 
Now, a lot of people mock the Bible because the Bible says that they're, uh, that this is going to be witnessed by everyone in the world. And people for a long time said, how is that possible? Well, now with these things in our pockets and TV cameras everywhere, is it any wonder everybody's going to see it? And technology is only going to get better. People are going to throw a party in the street and dance around their dead bodies. And after some time, these men are going to stand up and come back to life and then ascend up to heaven. It's going to be awesome. All right, give us the next slide there. I'm trying to finish this up quick. Um, right after the, um, uh, the temple is, uh, is uh, desecrated and the abomination of desolation takes place, there's going to be a marking put on the right hand, under the right hand, or in the forehead of everybody. And if you don't participate, you will be killed. Now, I believe that's going to be a computer chip. That's my opinion. The Bible doesn't say that. And I believe that with that computer chip, it'll be GPS censored. It'll be your method of payment. It'll have all your medical data. You know they're already chipping dogs? There are already humans in certain countries that are volunteered to get chipped. There are employees and companies that are chipped, and they time in and time out with that. So, uh, And by the way, they find that it works best in the right hand. And for those that it doesn't work in the right hand, they, they find it best that it goes right under the skin and the forehead. And so um, that will be the mark of Satan. By the way, if you take this chip or this marking, let me back up and just use the Bible term. If you take this marking, you will lose all ability to be saved. A mark is a, signi- a, a signal of identity. You are identifying with Satan. And Thessalonians says that there will be a strong delusion that will come over you, and you will lose all ability to be saved. We have any other slides there? Uh, the last set of judgments are the vile judgments. The first uh, vile judgment down to the seventh vile judgment. And so um, at the end of the Battle of uh, Megiddo, uh, you can go back to the minor prophet name escapes me. I think it's Joel, but I might have that wrong. And there's a talk about there being um, a valley, a valley between where the Temple Mount is and where the Mount of Olives are, and the leaders of the world will be gathered there. Matthew 25 describes this, the end of Matthew 25, and they will be judged for what they did with Jesus' people. It's pretty incredible. Um, I, can't, I, I can't believe that that's escaping me at the moment, because I just studied it a couple of days ago, but um, I have some timers. I don't have all timers yet, but I have some timers, so... You have to uh, bear with me here. So that's a, that is the book of Revelation in the express lane. And if that whets your appetite, go back to the bookstore. Someone's going to be working the bookstore after church. Go back to the bookstore and buy the Revelation series or order it, and we'll get it to you, okay? All right, let's stand and be dismissed.